Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. This week, our guest is Evan Altman, editor-in-chief of Cubs Insider. Hey, I write for Cubs Insider, don't I? So, kind of my boss. But Evan's on this week to talk about all things Cubs, a little bit of pro wrestling, and I talk a lot about my trip to Denver to see the Cubs play the Colorado Rockies. Which, of course, was insane as always. Anyway, um, a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, you know, if you want to contact me and get a question or two on the podcast, you can reach me at sth85 on Twitter, or you can send it to my email address, holycowpod at gmail. And any questions you have about that, that's holycowpod at gmail.com. So I, if you send me stuff, I will read it on the podcast. So if that's what you want to do. Anyway, let's get to my interview with Evan. Cubs just lost moments ago to go to 11-10 and 10 against the tough Indians team. So how do you feel about the Cubs after 21 games? You know, it's uh, it's weird. Like, it just doesn't feel like they've been able to establish that rhythm. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see them kind of do this thing. He's you know, take two out of three in in Colorado, and looked like things were moving in the right direction, especially after the first game in Cleveland, and and then you have one of them like this where it's just it's just so frustrating. Like, they can't just string things together. And so you kind of have this, you know, two steps forward and one step back. And, uh, and, and it's obvious that things are there. You know, I mean, shoot, we, we saw starters, no starter going into the seventh inning prior to yesterday. Now they've done it twice in a row. Uh, so that you feel kind of good about. You figure, okay, the rotation can't continue to be as, as uh, kind of mediocre as they have been. Uh, now it's just a matter of, you know, you'd, you'd really love to see, like, Hey, winning, winning two games out of three or, uh, you know, three out of five. If you do that every five games, you win three out of every five, you're going to end up with a pretty good record. So I, I don't think there's a concern there. It's just you would like to see them string together some of those four or five game win streaks and to really kind of uh, carry that momentum. But, uh, you know, I, I feel kind of meh at the end of the day, but uh, maybe a, a little bit better than last year. I feel like there's a lot of things going on with a lot of these players who, uh, are are really, you know, Javi Baez and Kyle Schwarber and, and even Jason Hayward. And uh, and I think that's something they can build on. So I, I still feel more positive than kind of floating in the middle, but I, I'd still like to see him do better. Yeah, just maybe a little bit more consistent than they've been. But, like, when they've been on this, like, last year when they kind of struggled out of the gate, there weren't very many games where they looked good. This year, it's like they look great or they look horrible. But last year, they just kind of looked, oh, the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of the difference. They, they do look uh, – it looks like there's more emotion. Um, like you said, last year sort of felt like they were going through the motions a little bit, like they were sort of just 
not completely with it. And, and again, I, you know, we've overused the idea of this world series hangover, but I, I do think there's something to be said for like, when you reach this emotional peak, um, you know, where, where do things go from there? What you can't do anything to replicate that. And so I, I think kind of the drudgery of the regular season doesn't really help much. And now I think we are seeing for them, uh, they, they look a little more fired up. They, they just, they look like they're more into it for lack of a better term. So I do like that. I, I like that the emotion is there. I feel like, um, not they have a chip on their shoulder or anything, but after last year and being kind of disappointed, it does sort of feel like they, they feel like they have something to prove. And and so I do like watching them play like that. Yeah. And you know, obviously I want to get to the stuff about hobby and all the exciting stuff, but I think we should probably start with some pitching stuff. And um, there's two pitchers that have been the most interesting to me so far. First is you Darvish who has struggled. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And then Tyler Chatwood, who has had some of the weirdest pitching performances I think I've ever seen. I mean, they're like Carlos Zambrano level, like all over the place performances. So uh, what are your thoughts on those two guys? Yeah. So Darvish is a little weird. You know, it's, it's uh, he seems to be at times really cruising right along and then he'll have that crazy, you know, kind of like the, the fifth inning or whatever, where he'll just sort of implode for an inning. And if you, if you pick out those, those little spots here and there, uh, you kind of feel good about him. I mean, it's, it's clear that he's got the stuff, you know, we we're seeing him, uh, the velocity is, is still as high as it's ever been. He's able to keep it up there in the, in the upper nineties, you know, mid to upper nineties pretty consistently. It's just a matter of kind of flaking out for one inning at a time. So I, I again, I, I think he's going to put it together and ended up with a really good uh, a really good season once it's all said and done. Chatwood is the weirdest. Uh, I mean, and I get, but he, I, I forget who I was talking to, but he's like a little league pitcher um, who, you know, or, or like Randy Johnson almost early in his career, obviously a very different setup from that, <laughs> but to where kind of nobody really knows where the pitch is going. And, uh, and, and he's just, he's wild. He's all over the place. But I think his his best games uh, so far, like the one game in which he only walked one one batter, he was trying to guide the ball so much that he just kept leaving fastballs up in the zone. He got hammered. But the rest of him just walked up what like five, six, and seven batters, I think, in 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 three of his starts. And those are the ones in which he's allowed the fewest hits and the fewest runs. And uh, and I don't think that can continue because I just can't imagine you walking six batters a game and and performing well like that. But um, it's clear that the stuff is there. I mean, he's got great movement. If he can just kind of find that point to where he's located, like he knows where it's going and he's able to kind of locate that ball where it's just enough to look kind of like a strike. I'll feel pretty good about it, but he, he does despite the good results he's gotten on some of these high walk games. I don't really like that at all. Cause it's really like, he's not fun to watch pitch. Cause I keep thinking, you know, he's going to hit somebody or he's going to walk everyone and, uh, and and you just don't know where it's going when it leaves his hand, and it's kind of nerve-wracking. So he scares me a little bit. Yeah, it, it really is like, I said it before, it really does remind you of like a Zambrano. And there were times when Zambrano was dominant, but you with him you never really knew where the ball was going either. And eventually the wheels came off on it, but maybe it'll be like 2008 Zambrano and Chatwood will pitch good the whole year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the hope, and, and like the good side of it, is, and and again, same thing with Zambrano, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a frequent opening day starter, 
you know, pretty much the staff ace for a while. And, uh, and, and when he was on, he was really good, obviously. And that's, I think the, the one nice thing about Chatwood is that even when he's missing his own, uh, he's doing so with stuff that's good enough to miss bats, you know, and he, and he other than the one game hasn't really gotten tagged all that hard. Uh, guys aren't able to hit him well. And when they do, or when they do make contact, a lot of it, uh, we saw this in that game with the Indians, a lot of balls on the ground, a lot of harmless pop-ups, that sort of thing. So they weren't really squaring him up. And so, you know, if, if he can continue to kind of do that and just, you know, limit those walks, I mean, you know, three is fine Four every once in a while, maybe um, I, I would just love to see. And, and some of that maybe jitter. Some of it might be, obviously we've seen these rainouts that have caused, you know, I mean, guys aren't pitching on their normal rest. They're, they're getting backed up a couple of days. It's weird conditions. So I know for the cold and the, and the wet, uh, the wet weather, not necessarily good for a guy like Chatwood who's, who's, you know, he's known for spinning the ball really well. And so any, any, you know, loss of fidelity on that grip is going to hurt him. So, uh, you know, it'll be, I think this is one of those things that we're, you know, whatever proclamations we make now, maybe we look back in a month and are like, Oh wow, man, I was way off there. But I think here, once we get another couple turns through the rotation, we're going to start to get a better feel uh, for who these guys are going to be this year moving forward. So I, I am looking forward to that after these last couple games we've seen. And once I get settled in, get back to Wrigley, play some consistent baseball when the weather stops jacking around with the games every uh, two or three days. Yeah. Well, actually that's a good transition because I went to the Cubs Rocky series, well, Saturday and Sunday in Denver. And that Saturday game was brutal. It was 38 degrees. I mean, I made it till the, we made it till the, middle of the fifth inning and we had to go back to our hotel because it was just way cold. But um, that was where Javi Baez really broke out, had a massive series against the Rockies and people are getting pretty excited about Javi. Yeah. And it's, it's hard not to, right? I mean, and, and he's a guy who's, who's so, I mean, there you go. I mean, Colorado, think about it. That's where he, he came up. He made his debut, hit the home run, um, ended up with a couple there. And, uh, and so you've, you've got this guy who is, and even before he came up, right. He was this kind of anointed unicorn, you know, middle infielder with just insane power, but to watch him now and the transition that he's made for, from a, from a guy who even at his best last year, putting up career best power numbers, playing great defense, uh, Everyone in the ballpark, everyone watching the game knew that in a two strike count, he was going to get a slider in the dirt and he was probably going to swing at it. And, uh, and it was the most frustrating thing because you just like, say, like there were times when you look and almost be like, dude, I don't just put the bat on your shoulder. You got two strikes. Just take that first pitch that you get with two strikes because it's not going to be close to the zone. And he just couldn't do it. But what we've been seeing and, uh, and you know, our, Brendan Miller at uh, Cubs Insider wrote a little bit about this. Uh, just a, a really brief piece, but you can see what he's doing. You can just see him, and he's he's taking those pitches at least more frequently. Now, he's not going to turn into a guy who never strikes out. He's not Tony Gwynn by any stretch, but my God, when he is able to sit on those and then take those pitches you know, that are maybe not as far outside, but kind of take one that they're going down and away on him and flip that thing out in the opposite field, and get it to the gap. I mean, he's just an extra base machine. He's so fast. He's so aggressive out there. Uh, and, and it just, it, oh my God, it's so fun to watch him 
And now that he's really starting to put it together with more patience at the plate, uh, you've got a guy who just he can he can beat another team in so many ways that uh, that again it doesn't matter whether he's in the field on the bases at the plate he's he's must see he is destination watching uh, even listening to him on the radio is exciting so I feel really really good about where he's at and this is so much more of a sustainable model for his success whereas we saw him in the past kind of go through these hot streaks and. And he'd, he'd just crush mistakes, but then pitchers would figure him out and, you know, he'd kind of run into the slump for a while. But I think this is not to say he's slump proof, but uh, if he gets to the point where he's kind of able to put these dangerous hot streaks together with kind of calming down those lulls a little bit, my goodness, he is just, he's going to be something else. Yeah. And if you think about it throughout the start of the season, he was getting this power, but his, he was really squaring the ball up and it was finding a lot of gloves. I mean, he had his, I didn't check what his batted average, you know, balls and play average was, but it had to be very low to start the year. And like, and then it was like, well, his numbers will probably bounce back. But then it's like, they bounced back like in a week, went from 190 to like 302. It was amazing. Yeah. And that's kind of one of those things that, uh, that you see so early on. And, and like I said, it was, it was one of those deals where, you know, he was, he was hitting the home runs. I think it was, uh, you know, the, the two homer game he had and he, and he's had a couple of these just kind of breakouts, but I think at one point he was batting what, like 170, 190, something, something like that. And yet he had all these other great numbers and, uh, you know, big slugging and he had the RBIs, he had the home runs. So it was only a matter of time before those things kind of balanced out, but you know, he, you throw up a few uh, multi-hit games right there in a row really early, and all of a sudden everything just skyrockets. And so, you know, the hope is that uh, we see the same thing maybe like with Anthony Rizzo, some other guys like that, and Rizzo is starting to put put together a few hits here too. Um, and so that's the thing that's kind of, it's both good and bad about this early part of the season. You see these, these wild swings, you know, between uh, guys, especially the batting average numbers and on-base percentage and things like that. Uh, and, and that you can see these these huge impacts. So it's like as as fun as it is to say, you know, he raises, he basically doubled his average over the course of a week or whatever. Uh, you know, those kind of swings aren't possible later in the season. But it's pretty cool to just follow that and see how dramatic a change, you know, a really hot streak can have, and to to kind of play with these numbers. Sometimes we got to be careful about small samples and using them to really extrapolate too much. But they're pretty fun. So when you look at it early in the season, I love looking at something like this. Like, oh, he's hitting, you know, 500 over the last four games. And, you know, will that mean anything in the at the end of the year? Maybe not, but it's fun as hell to look at. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, D.D. Gregorius is going to hit 75 home runs, but it's interesting to see. You never know, man. I mean, he could, he could set a record. Who knows? Uh, you know, you got uh, former Cub Christian Villanueva, like, just – raking out in San Diego. So, uh, but, but yeah, those are always the funny things, you know, is uh, we, we see that and it's maybe not so much now that the era has changed, but uh, it seemed like every year there would be this, you know, somebody would go on a hot streak early, whether it be Ken Griffey jr. Or Matt Williams. Uh, you know, if I, if we're going back all the way to what, 95, 96, um, maybe that was, the, was that the strike year that he, but anyway, you know, they said, Oh, these guys are on pace. You know, in that time, the record was still uh 61. And so there'd be every year, there'd be two, three guys who, who'd get really hot to start the season. And everybody's talking about, Oh, they break the record, you know, and then it inevitably calms down. But, uh, but it's, that's the fun of, 
of the early part of the season is to see kind of these breakout performances or guys that you didn't expect as much from. And then to see, you know, how does that continue? Do these, do, do these guys keep up with it? Does that kind of springboard them or was it just a fluke? And then, you know, they end up with a regular season uh, like they would normally have. So uh, again, hopefully uh, the fluke part applies to somebody like Rizzo, like I mentioned earlier, who, um, who does not look like his typical, kind of a really productive self. So I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Now the other big move, they moved Baez up into the two hole, but the other move was giving Elmora a lot of time bleeding off and it seems to be working pretty well so far, but I just want to say about, I saw, I was at the game on Sunday and his catches. I mean, when you're there watching it, I thought the first one, especially there was absolutely no chance he was going to catch it. And then just to see him flying through the air, like, in person, it was just amazing to see. Well, and, and I think, you know, you bring up that point there, and and that was one thing I noticed about Almora watching him. Uh, I got to see him play at, at both uh, single A at, at high A. Uh, at the time was um, Daytona. And then uh, to see him play for the double A Smokies, you watch him out there, and, and obviously it's, it's so different because when you are in person, you can kind of focus on somebody a little bit earlier. You don't have to rely on the camera and, uh, and jumping to them. You can kind of watch the thing develop and to watch him and how quickly he gets a read and a jump on a ball, uh, because he's not the, he's not the fastest guy in the world, right? He's not this crazy speed burner like Billy Hamilton, uh, who can run down everything, but he's just, he's got such great instincts and you can watch him out there just track the ball, and he's just smooth. Uh, it, it doesn't look like he's putting out a ton of effort. And then you see that that play uh, just kind of unfold, and it's like he expects to make those. That's where he's really confident, and that's what I love about him. Is uh, is and I saw him do this, and this was in single A, and he, he went after ball. I mean, just a crazy deep fly into right center that he had no business even reaching, and he dove for it, and he actually ended up not making the catch kind of rolled up over it and ball uh, fell out of his glove. It wasn't a catch. And he was so upset with himself. And again, this is a play most guys never would have even come close to. I mean, it was like a sure double or triple in the gap there. And yet he's angry that he wasn't able to haul it in. And that told me a lot about him for a guy who was, you know, again, that young, you're talking about a couple years removed from high school, you're playing at the high A level. And, uh, and, and so that was the thing that really, once I saw him play and he ended up in that same game hitting for the cycle, so, uh, so it was a pretty good overall game for him. Right. And they ended up winning, um, and everything, but he's just, he just goes out there and does it, man. And it's so fun to watch in person. So I think that's, you get a real appreciation for that, especially in a place like Colorado where, uh, balls tend to leave the yard or, or really make themselves over the, make their way over the defender's head. So that's pretty cool that you were able to actually see that, especially on a, on a weekend like that, where he was, it seemed like every inning he was out there diving after a ball or making some great play of some kind. Oh yeah, it was amazing. And like, I was at the very top of the left field bleachers, so like the angle I was at was him running right at me, basically, to catch it. And I was like, and we're like, they made first of all, Lanny caught it, and I'm like, oh my god, he's hurt because <laughs> he's laying on the ground. Schwarber ran over, waving at the trainer, and I'm like, oh, and like this was like reminding you, like literally half an inning after Bryant got hit in the head. So I was thinking, oh my god, I'm here when it all falls apart for everyone. That's a uh, that that would be. I think you shouldn't mention that if that were to happen because uh, you don't you don't want to draw the ire of everyone. But it was 
it, it was such a weird, right? The whole, the Bryant thing and, and just guys kind of running into each other and, and, uh, you know, again, like that, Almora making those diving plays, kind of being shaken up. And, and so, you know, it's a little early for that stuff. So almost times we're like, dial it down, you know what I mean? Like, uh, don't, maybe don't go full force, but obviously they have to, you can't tell a guy to dial it in and run it in like that. But, um, what a weird series. And, and that was one of them that, you know, I was only able to catch up on highlights. I was actually out of the country, uh, until Sunday night. And so I really didn't get to see, I didn't feel like staying up until uh, two forty in the morning to watch a first pitch. And so I was forced to rely upon highlights or, or breakdowns and things like that. And so, uh, the, the Bryant thing actually was one of the first things I saw when I landed, I actually flew back, um, and came through Detroit. And, uh, so, you know, as soon as I got my coverage back, I pulled it up and I see him get hit in the face <laughs> and, and I just, I freaked out completely, you know, thinking like, Oh my God, what's happening? Um, you know, what, what does this mean? And then ideally, uh, it's, you know, hopefully it is just minor stuff and it's totally precautionary and he'll be fine. He'll be playing, uh, when they open the series with Cleveland or not Cleveland, but with Milwaukee. But, uh, man, that's, I mean, and that's every time something happens to Chris Bryant, I, my heart just leaps up into my throat because we've seen this happen, you know, three times last year and uh, where he just, he has something that you think is just going to sit him down for a month or two and he ends up missing a game, you know, so uh, fingers crossed, but uh, that he'll be fine. He'll be back and we don't have to blame you for causing it. Yes. Yes. And the weird thing about it was like, I was in the perfect spot to see, you know, Elmore's, but we were so far away from home plate that I saw it. And at first I thought he got hit in like the wrist that's how far away we were from, cause I saw, you know, it was a high pitch. His hands are high and he went down and like his head was down and I, me and like, all my, like my relatives and stuff around me were like, Oh my God, he broke his hand. He's going to be out for like six weeks. And then my other cousin showed up late and he had the phone and he was like, he got hit in the face. And we we're like, what? He goes, oh. yeah, he got hit in the helmet. And they're like, no, no, I thought he got hit in the hand. He goes, no, no, he got hit in the hel- helmet. So like shows you how far away we were from home plate, but when it's it's interesting to see, you know, and I, I know this sounds kind of odd, uh, but it's almost better that he got hit in the head than had he been hit in the hand. You know, when you talk about the recovery time, uh, and 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 again, thankfully he's not in the concussion protocol, and I'm not saying by any stretch, you know, I guess. However, I say that is probably going to come out wrong. Yeah. But when you talk about the possibility of breaking a finger or breaking a wrist for a hitter. Uh, is generally significantly worse just in, just in terms of the overall recovery time, right? Um, and not, and of course, it goes without saying that uh, head injuries can have a great deal of pitfalls of their own. Um, but uh, but you know, again, this may be a situation in which it was good that he wears those sunglasses. I mean, you got to cut on the eye from the sunglasses, but between the helmet and the glasses, kind of maybe absorbed a little bit of that. Uh, but it's <laughs> Man, it's just scary. That's uh, part of the reason not that uh, not that the C flap on the on the helmet would have helped at all, but uh, but you wonder with something like that. You know, it, it, will he consider that? Will other players do it? I know he wore one when he was a kid, so I don't know. Does that change? Probably not. But uh, but you see stuff like that, and it's just I mean that that's the kind of thing that's so scary because when the ball is coming at you that fast, and just I mean that thing looked like it just rode right up in there. Uh, and, uh, and you know, I, 
I don't know. I just, oh, I, I, I'm cringing right now just thinking about trying to take a pitch. Like, how do you even get out of the way of that? I don't even have the reflexes. I'd have been, I'd be done. No, I'm not no as way. Tall as him, so probably would have gone over the top of my head. I'd have been fine. Yeah, but no, that would have been, yeah. And by the way, that's not the, that's the second time I've seen someone getting hit in the head in the baseball game before like that. But the first time I knew, um, this, now get ready to go on the way back machine for this one. I saw Jason Marquis hit John Baker of the Rockies in the head with a pitch. <laughs> wow. There you go. Yeah. Good old John Baker, the man bear wolf. Uh, no, that is uh, man. That's just, I don't think I've ever actually, I, well, it's funny. I, I plunked my own son. Actually, I didn't plunk him. We were just playing catch and bounced off his glove and, and hit him, hit his glasses and it cut him above the eye. So I tried to, you know, play that off like, oh, hey, you're just like Chris Bryant. Um, except it wasn't quite the same, but you you just, you know, I sit there and I think, you know, that stuff. Oh, and, and now I'm as I'm watching in the loop on NBC Sports Chicago, they just showed the replay of him getting hit. And it, that is just, oh, my God, that thing just jumped on him. Um, so that that scared me all over again. No, it wasn't uh, John Baker. No, the one, the guy who was on the Cubs, the, that the right-handed hitter that killed lefties, Baker. What's his first name? Jeff Baker. Jeff Baker. Sorry, it was Jason Marquis at Jeff Baker when Jeff Baker was playing on the Rockies in the head. So, but that one, everyone in the stadium, it like clang. You could hear it in the whole stadium was just deathly <laughs> silent. Not fun. Not fun. No. And, of course, it, I always remember those games and the stuff that happens, and I – I believe Jamie Carroll hit a grand slam for the Rockies to win the game. <laughs> wow. Those are always fun. Like those random games. You know what I mean? When you, uh, <laughs> you can kind of point to weird things that, that happen and you start pulling out names it's like, Oh man, remember when, but it's, you know, it's a, a slightly different uh, situation for maybe, you know, obviously if you've been to a no hitter or a perfect game, you know, you remember those, but it's always interesting when, you know, oh, I, I remember, you know, I was at that game when and, uh, you know, weird stuff happens or whatever. And then you kind of look back at that later and it's like, oh, that was, that was kind of interesting. But it's sort of funny, the things that, that stick in your head, uh, no pun intended. Yeah. So that's a, well, my, that's a good question to ask. What was the most, the best, I don't want to say best, but the most memorable game you've ever gone to? Um, I mean, the, uh, games one and, and four of the world series, uh, were, were relatively memorable, I would say, although, you know, they lost both of those, the, um, the, all the, the one, if you, you know, when you talk about like a, a crazy occurrence, so uh, let's see, this would have been, it was in 2001. So when, when was this in October? or maybe September, I think it was September 29th, 01, I believe it was originally supposed to have been the, maybe the last uh, home game of the season, but it, it uh, the season had been kind of altered. That was uh, September 11th, and so a few games had been kind of pushed back. So it was, uh, it was a Sunday. Uh, the Cubs were not very good, but they were playing, uh, they're playing the Astros, and uh, I think it was Dave Malicki, was pitching for the Astros, if I'm remembering correctly. I think I'm, I, I'm probably like combining two people's names together, but I, I thought that's who it was. Anyway, it's like the first or second inning, and uh, and Fred McGriff, Rondell White, and uh, um, 
Todd Hundley went back to back to back on three consecutive pitches. Uh, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So three home run, three pitches, three home runs in, in the space of, you know, like 30 seconds. I mean, all of a sudden, and just everybody's screaming. And, and it was the first game I had been to at Wrigley in several years. I'd been, um, you know, I, I don't think I went the whole time I was in college. So four or five years, at least since I'd been up there. And, uh, and just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And, and sort of kind of have that chance to, to be back there and see something that crazy. But I was like, you know, we didn't realize it while it's happening. I was like, that was on three pitches, <laughs> like back to back to back, three pitches. That's insane. Um, so, yeah, this, I thought it was a pretty cool little moment for me. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, this one was way up there. Like the one on Sunday might have been, but the, there was one other one because I always go to Rockies because, you, you know, being in Montana, it's the best place to see the Cubs to drive down to Denver. But um, I went to the game where Sammy Sosa had three home runs at Coors Field. I can't remember if it was 2000 or 99 or 2001, but around then, but that was insane. Any of those, and, and, you know, seeing, and that's the one thing, obviously he's been uh, certainly maligned to an extent and, and some of that rightfully so uh, much of it sort of unnecessary, but you know, that was the interesting thing. If, if nothing else, when Sosa was there, uh, you know, I talked about Javi being kind of appointment viewing, that that 98 season and you had Sosa McGuire and that whole thing. But I mean, that you, you knew, like you had this sense that Sosa was going to do something incredible. Um, just mash some home run or, or, you know, just something. I mean, he was just, he was for a while there. He was about the only reason to watch the Cubs at all. And, uh, and you just, you felt like when you were going to see something special when you went out to the ballpark or when you tuned in to WGN or whatever, and, uh, and it was really, I mean, I saw him hit one, uh, we were at when it was still riverfront in Cincinnati, they were building great American ballpark. And so the, they had, you know, removed part of the back wall at riverfront and the, and the outside of the, you know, kind of the facade of great American was right there beyond the left field wall. And, you know, I kind of had a tarp over or whatever. And I just remember seeing Sosa just bang one off of that and just, I mean, just crush a home run. And so that was kind of fun, uh, just just seeing that and like weird little things like that that uh, that sort of stick in your mind, you know. And I think it was maybe the first time I'd been to Cincinnati or something to see a game, uh, or the first time in a long time, anyway. And uh, and those things are fun, you know. Going to see games on the road, I always enjoy that, and taking my kids and and just seeing weird little things that that may happen. So uh, so I'll enjoy any of that stuff. But man, I, you go back with, gosh, again, those Sosa teams were just so incredible. Just it was the. the Maybe not the teams every time, but him certainly. And like you said, you get to you get to experience something like that, and you can look back, and then uh, you kind of kind of wonder when he'll be reunited with the team, and, and those things can all be more than just some weird memory uh, that's you know kind of got an asterisk on it. Yeah, and actually, because that game, the whole crowd, because again, you know, Coors Field got to be eighty percent Cubs fans there. I mean, it's ridiculous when we go to the games, but the crowd was chanting "Sammy, Sammy." And I never heard anything like that again until this Sunday when they were chanting hobby. So it's a nice little book in there. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and I was actually, I went to uh, the one game I've been to in uh, Coors Field was uh, they celebrated the 20th anniversary. It was, a, it was a, so uh, the 20th anniversary of the Rockies they had kind of their all, you know, anniversary team. And it was junior lakes debut 
uh, and he ripped a double down the line in his in his first at bat. Uh, so that was kind of neat. But but the same thing. So the Cubs were terrible, right? I mean, they were just awful, and and the Rockies weren't any good either. And so you're looking around, and again, it was mostly Cubs fans, right? Even when the Cubs were terrible, I'm thinking this is the coolest thing ever. Uh, it was so much fun to to go and see them like that, and I had these great seats and. You know, he ripped the line drive right by me, uh, and so I was like, "Oh, this is this is awesome!" You know, so they ended up winning, and and it was really cool. But it's it's fun. There is nothing better than going to see, you know, these these like Western. I've been to Anaheim and had mostly Cubs fans. You know, and go to these really Miami, mostly Cubs fans. Uh, to go to these ballparks, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Wrigley and from Chicago, and and not even in Arizona, right? Uh, not anymore. There's a lot more Cubs fans down there. And you have all these Cubs fans who are outnumbering the home team. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty neat to see, I guess the same thing's true for Milwaukee though. And they've actually been good lately. Yeah. Well, I'll move on to one more um, exciting development. I think uh, Kyle Schwarber after, you know, not a great, at least start to last year. He's really been coming on the last week and a half and I'm starting to get pretty excited about him. Yeah, I mean, um, and, you know, what's interesting about that, uh, or at least I think it's interesting, and uh, and I wrote about this last year when he was struggling, and I, I recently wrote about it again, is that what we saw from him, so if you look at the stats last year, he took a lot more pitches for strikes, I think about 60 more pitches. I think it was something like 340 called strikes, to 280 swinging strikes and that's swing and miss, not, uh, not foul balls. And despite that, so he took more looking strikes than he swung at and missed yet. He swung and missed. He had a, a swinging third strike, uh, more than three times as, as frequently It's like 115 swinging strikeouts to 35 looking strikeouts. So the percentages were all out of whack. He took more looking strikes, but he struck out on swinging uh, strikes more often. And uh, and so you sit there, but and you could see that if you watched him, you'd see him early in these counts just take, take, take. And some of that was probably the leadoff thing. It was it was trying to be this on base guy, and he would take so many, and then he'd end up in this two strike count. And he'd expand his zone and he'd go down swinging. So you saw that. Well, this year the numbers have really flipped. His his percentage of looking strikeouts is actually way up, which is a good thing because it's more of a relative stat. It's not saying he's striking out more often because he's not, he's striking out less often overall. He's swinging at fewer overall pitches, but he's swinging at more first strikes. So the whole thing is flipped. And so he's being aggressive early in counts when he's seeing more strikes and then he's not expanding his zone as much as the count gets a little deeper, which is different from what we saw last year. So he's ambushing these good pitches early. We saw that in the first game in Cleveland. Not so much in Wednesday night's game, but, uh, you know, such is life. But I just, I love what we're seeing. He looks a lot more comfortable at the plate. He looks more confident. And and he looks like he's going up there with much more of a plan where, like I said, his only plan last year kind of felt like it was that he was going up to just see as many pitches as possible. And then he'd get himself deep in the count and would have to try to go. This year, if he sees something good, he's going after it. And I, and I love it uh, because this guy, if anybody was concerned about losing weight, uh, that trip be, you know, being uh, equivalent to a loss of power, I think uh, they, they got a rude awakening on uh, Tuesday night because, boy, he, 
he hammered a couple of balls and it was that was really nice to see. Yeah, it, it almost did feel like that he works he's a hard worker and he's so committed to like whatever they give him the assignment to do, he throws his whole self into it. And last year they gave him the leadoff assignment and he was gonna be the best leadoff hitter ever. But that like you said, it meant he thought he needed to see as many pitches as possible for the rest of the team and it I think it did mess up his whole approach. And it, it just, it, he looked, and, and Theo Epstein mentioned this several times, right? He, he was, he was kind of fighting himself last year. And I, and I think that was really evident and, uh, and he would basically say as much, but uh, yeah, he just didn't, he, he didn't look like the same guy that we had seen in the world series that we had seen uh, at times, you know, in the come playoff time. And so it was almost like, you know, he needed that big stage. And I think that was part of, you know, he kind of needed to get called out. He looked a lot better once he came back up from Iowa and he looks great this year, and and he's just, you know, he's never going to be a great outfielder, but he's mediocre out there and left, and that's really all you need if he keeps hitting like this, and nobody will care. So that's the part that's really great to see is just him kind of overcoming some of that stuff and stepping up and and really looking a lot better after what we saw last year. Oh, that's one more, one more player said. Speaking of looking completely not like themselves or like they've looked, Jason Hayward's starting to look a little okay at the plate. Not great, but looks a little, a lot better than he did even last year. Should I get, should we be tempering this a little bit or do you think this might be something good? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think to each his own on there, uh, it is, uh, certainly one of those deals where, you know, it's difficult because we've seen him now in Chicago for a long enough time that, uh, that we kind of feel like we know who he is, but, uh, you know, we've also seen who he was before he got to Chicago and, and it was, he's always a guy who's had flaws with his swing, but he's got some really good results before. I mean, he's, he's been a good hitter and, uh, you know, so I look at it a couple of different ways. I, I do think we're going to have to wait for, uh, another few weeks, another few at bats, uh, before we really can kind of, Feel good, but and he had actually, you know, tonight he had one that he jumped all over from Trevor Bauer and pulled it just wide of the foul pole that uh, that was close to him. He certainly had the distance to be a home run, and uh, and he really got on it. He's doing a lot better with those fastballs, particularly the inside fastballs, which is somewhere that that's something that he really struggled with with the funky hand movements stuff he's got going on so if he can maintain that you know and keep that approach and uh and turn on those fastballs i think we'd be seeing something a a lot better from him although you know it'll make him an even more expensive bench player when they land bryce harper next year yes or manny machado or both i mean who knows throw them both in there get the dh go with the you know let's get a 10-man uh Get uh, Rob. I'm sure Rob Manfred would be all about. You know, you could add in a, a rover position. I mean, with the other rules he's trying to make up, that actually seems uh, just as plausible as some of the other ideas that they're kind of firing off from the uh, from the league office. So who knows? Maybe they'll be able to play with more people. Maybe that that would, yeah. Just load up, get everybody. Two teams worth of all stars. Like it. All right. Well, I'll ask. I'll go one more. I'll move a little product here. These uh, Javi Mania t-shirts, which I assume are based on Hulkamania. Of course. Tell me a little bit about those. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was. I can't even take credit for it uh, personally, but 
that was uh, the brainchild of of uh, Corey Friedman and Brendan Miller, two of our other guys at uh, Cubs Insider, and uh, and they just uh, they fired those off. I think it was uh, here this weekend, and uh, I, I got a, like a I think it was a, a DM or a Facebook message or something, and they were kind of going back and forth on that stuff. But it was just so. Then we started, you know, kind of going back and forth on those, and I tweeted out with the whole kind of the a play on the um, some of the Hulk Hogan sayings and and just throwing that stuff out there. It's just kind of a fun. You know, because we think about, uh, and that's that's kind of like Javi Baez sort of has the same feel of a professional wrestler, where he's just he's kind of bigger than life, and and he's he's got all this swag, and and just he's he's out there. This is entertaining guy, and so I mean that in the best possible way, right? He's he's kind of like one of those WWE wrestlers who's just uh, really just fun. You just love to watch. And so we thought, well, hey, what better way to uh, to celebrate that than with the the Javi Mania uh, T-shirt? So, um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of fun with that, and we'll hopefully we'll hopefully we'll still enough that uh, we can all get rich and and ride off into the sunset with our uh, you know big time T-shirt money. That's right. But yeah, I get to it. I get to you know he do, doing the pre pre match interviews, him and uh and Francisco Lindor tag team, but then. Like Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, something splits them up. Maybe a woman, who knows? And then <laughs> the rival, and then they become enemies, and they have to meet in the big match in the World Series, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, you know, you play those things off each other. I don't know if uh, you know, they're, but they're both baby faces, right? So I don't know. You got to have one of them turn heel, or uh, maybe maybe play something else in there. But uh, or maybe you know, it's like Hogan and Andre the Giant going up against each other. You know, although I guess Andre had to turn heel in that one too. Uh, now I'm going too far into the into the wrestling parlance, so I don't know if uh, how well that'll play. But uh, but no, it's it is fun though to see these guys. Like this is what I love about like the game tonight. Javi's kind of wagging his finger at Lindor after he didn't get him out at first, and there's this kind of uh, back and forth play, and 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 you, you you get a lot of there's these characters, you know, and and you know Major League Baseball rather than kind of run around trying to make stupid rules, I think. Well, my gosh they could probably do pretty well if they really did a good job of promoting some of these young stars, you know, other than Mike Trout and Giancarlo Stanton, like, Hey, let, let the world know about some of these younger guys, some of these Latin players and these guys who are just that that's, you know, it's a different culture that they play, uh, play with down there. And, and let's, let's celebrate that a little bit more at the major league level. Let's let more people see that. Let's have fun with this. And uh, you know, it obviously doesn't have to be, campy or anything like that but my gosh what if you got smart and brought this to a few more people and let them know about it i i don't know i just uh it would be so so much fun yeah we could go really deep into it and start comparing clint hurdle to bobby the brain heenan or something but <laughs> that actually is is some of they kind of have sort of a similar appearance i could sort of they both have like kind of really big heads and gray hair and yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of there on that one yeah exactly well on that note i guess before we turn this into a wrestling podcast. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on my uh, show. Not a problem. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I was, uh, always appreciate jumping on and just kind of randomly talking about, uh, a few weird, uh, pop culture topics in between a little bit of Cubs baseball, especially after a game like they just had. It's sometimes it's a little more fun to talk about wrestling than, uh, than that last game against the Indians. So it's all good. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you. Not a problem. Thank you for listening. We're going to have a new show soon. And, uh, you know, one more quick note. Uh, 
I this podcast is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. But I encourage you to rate and review my podcast. You know, it kind of helps me let me know how many people are listening to this crazy thing and gives me some good feedback. So thanks for listening, and we'll have a new one soon. <laughs> <laughs>